Hi, everybody, and thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen in on our Hilco Global Smarter Perspective podcasts. As return listeners know by now, I'm your host, Steve Katz. And if this is your first time with us, well, then welcome. We're really glad that you could tune in. Today, we are joined by a distinguished triad of professionals from across the Hilco Global platform for what I think uh, everyone will find is a very eye-opening conversation. We're going to be talking about how the increasing relevance of Amazon sellers in the retail space has created a need for a new approach to field exams, appraisals, and liquidation that incorporates a deep understanding of the nuances that are associated with conducting business within the world's largest online marketplace. So Ian Fredericks, Dominic Keefe from Hilco's Retail Group, and Doug Jung from Hilco Diligence Services, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thanks for having me back, Steve. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Really appreciate it and uh, happy to be on. All right. Uh, Ian, can you kick us off with a quick top line of the core issue that's driving the need for a new approach in this space? Sure, Steve. So if I think back, and, and if, you know, obviously Amazon has been a uh, ever-growing and larger and larger player in the retail space. And I think what really you know, sort of accentuated that was when COVID, the onset of COVID, and so when COVID started, you know, there were obviously shoppers flocked to Amazon and other places that could deliver goods uh, to them during the pandemic, since early on, everything was shut down except for essential retail. And as a result of that, you also had an increase in uh, third-party sellers. So you had more businesses trying to sell through Amazon in order to capture those sales. And you also, at the same time, have been having this consolidation of third-party sellers into businesses like Thrasio, where they're taking a bunch of smaller Amazon sellers and trying to roll them up and aggregate them. And as a result of this, the capital needs were becoming you know, greater and greater. And what we identified was there was a real need in order to um, properly appraise the value to really become experts uh, in the Amazon area. And, you know, together with Dominic and Doug and some others on our team, what we did was really do a extreme deep dive into all things Amazon, you know, the inner workings of the marketplace. And then what we built off of the back of that was essentially methods for how to appraise Amazon inventory, because while there are aspects that are similar to some traditional brick and mortar or e-commerce appraisals, there are many differences. And then also, you know, how would you conduct a field exam? Because obviously it's different. Uh, you know, some uh, some marketplace users will use just Amazon Seller Central, while others may use, you know, some combination of Amazon Seller Central and their own, you know, software solutions. And then, you know, exactly what you also had to figure out was exactly how you would liquidate this stuff and what would those NOLVs so it required a lot of testing of a lot of different things, but you know that's what drove this, and that's how we kind of got to where we are here. Was we did a deep dive, really became experts in it, and then built out the product set for how we would support you know lenders in an inventory appraisal, uh, field exam, and liquidation context. Okay, that's a great uh, starting point. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, obviously, it's a complicated landscape, sort of a, a, a different approach is clearly necessary. So Dominic, as I understand it, Amazon 
does allow liquidation of inventory. And Ian talked about that a little bit through its website. And they even provide a, a variety of tools to assist in the sale of excess and underperforming inventory. But the nature of the activity that's permitted uh, is a lot different, more restrictive uh, than what you typically find in a in a GOB event. So what additional light can you shed on what those differences are uh, and kind of build on why a, di- a different sort of approach is necessary? Yeah, and I think even to sort of set the stage here, and I'm going to invite Ian to jump in uh, to add to this, but you know, I think we should cover sort of how a liquidation takes place in normal course, right? So before even getting into the the differences of what makes Amazon unique, and when you think about a a retail liquidation, you know, you, you generally have a, a couple of tools at your disposal to generate a recovery and to to sell as much inventory um, as is necessary at the best possible price. And so, and, and, and to ultimately achieve the best recovery. And so, you know, in, in the case of a brick and mortar liquidation, for instance, uh, you know, you, most of the consumers that are listening to this podcast and people more familiar with the industry would be very familiar with, with the signs that go up. And that sign package has an effect because the consumer recognizes them and, and those signs mean something. And so the messaging that you use on those signs, like going out of business and a store closing event and everything must go, can be a very powerful tool uh, in the context of a liquidation. And so, uh, you know, th- that kind of messaging is, is used prominently in stores. Uh, but even on a seller's own e-commerce platform, you use very similar messaging and it has and, you know, it, it, it has a, a powerful effect. Amazon is unique in this one way among many because you cannot use that same kind of language. And so, you know, because of that, you, you don't have the ability to promote the sale in the same way. It's very difficult uh, to create that same level and sense of urgency uh, on Amazon that you could across these other platforms that you know we're more familiar with as as you know consumers and and liquidators and so you know that in and of itself um, you know poses a, a challenge for recoveries and so understanding how to maximize other tools pull other levers and get attention to a sale on Amazon is a, is a difficult thing now. You know, I'll say that you generally, again, have less ability to promote the sale using traditional means, but there are other there are other ways to promote it. And that includes some things that Amazon provides for, uh, like lightning deals, um, you know, Amazon liquidation tools and these other sort of tactics that you can leverage. But, you know, perhaps most of all, one of the things that makes Amazon unique is the pricing model and and how you're able to discount to to generate sales and sales volume. And so, you know, Amazon has the ability to allow you as the seller to discount with, you know, very small increments. So let's say, you know, 2%, 3%, 4%, 5%. And that can be very meaningful and, and certainly is different than what you would otherwise find uh, sort of in a traditional brick and mortar, you know, retail store. And so, you know, th- there are there are pros and cons to the platform in terms of how you generate the highest and best recovery. 
And it really uh, uh, takes a, a deep understanding of what those are and how to leverage them to maximize sales because it's it's unlike anything else that's out there. And, and, it, and it makes up for a huge part of e-commerce sales, right? I mean, you think about it, Amazon is, is about 40% of the entire U, uh, US retail e-commerce market. And that's greater than the next 14 largest e-com sellers combined. And we're talking, you know, Walmart, eBay, Target, you know, Home Depot, Costco, et cetera. And so it's, it's massive and uh, it's, it's, it's massive and it's unique. So, so a deep understanding of those nuances is invaluable. And, you know, that's what we've spent a lot of time over the last, you know, handful of years getting familiar with. So just to dovetail off of what Dominic said, you think about a traditional brick and mortar, or even traditional e-commerce liquidation, you're much more focused on the sort of nameplate and the goodwill associated with that nameplate. So Sears or Radio Shack or any of those old liquidations that have uh, happened, you're focused on whatever goodwill is associated with that nameplate. On Amazon, it's all about the product, product and pricing. So you're you can be a lot more surgical and also uh, a lot more thoughtful about how you're going to price different things, and you can you have a lot of tools to help compare price. But Amazon's focused on the product and the price, and a traditional liquidation is focused much more on the nameplate and what's happening with that uh, nameplate. Yeah, interesting. And um, I know we talked a little bit uh, previously, just in some discussions that we've had, Ian, about this idea of you know violations, uh, but the there are a lot of sort of missteps that companies can make when trying to conduct um, a liquidation on Amazon. Did you want to just touch on that a little bit? Sure. And I think this goes to, there are a lot more ways for lenders to track how a retailer is doing from a data standpoint. There's actually an account health section of, you know, seller central. There are violation sections where you can actually track how many violations there are. And violations can be both at a seller level where there are things that that seller is doing that are improper that need to be corrected that could affect whether or not that seller is allowed to continue selling on Amazon. And then there are more, more regularly you have product-specific violations. And those can be you know hyper-technical or they can be big issues like violating, uh, you know, and selling something that violates someone else's intellectual property. But understanding the universe of those and how a seller reacts and how quickly they react to those is critical. And one of the things that we that we found to ensure that we could get those things resolved quickly is we've actually, you know, we partnered with an Amazon specialist they were former Amazon employees. They know exactly where to go to get help on resolving those issues because sometimes it's not so clear exactly where that violation lies. But for a lender, unlike other typical retail where you have to track everything off simply the financial information, there's a lot of ways to be able to track account health, seller ratings, you know, get those things potentially added to the borrowing base and create thresholds where if a, you know, if a borrower violates or trips below a certain threshold, it can cause covenant violations or things like that. So I think there are a lot of ways for lenders to protect themselves, but you got to know the universe of what you should be protecting against. And, you know, violations, like you said, Steve, are one of the you know key ones that can affect account health. 
Yeah, good points. Good points. So lots of complexity, obviously. Uh, but Doug, you know, there's some good news here too, right? As long as you've got proper understanding of uh, risk and appropriate monitoring, I assume. Yes, obviously. And you, as you just heard both Dominic and Ian say, there are a lot of rules and regulations, if you will, in managing you know, in managing Amazon. And in the field exam process, one of the things that we do uh, is we, you know, we're not looking at it from a liquidation standpoint per se. We're looking to see if the company itself is monitoring its Amazon performance adequately. Uh, there are a lot of metrics uh, that, you know, that's already been mentioned, mentioned that need to be monitored and tracked. Um, most importantly, the, you know, the, the seller needs to um, have SKU level, very accurate SKU level inventory information and compare that with what Amazon is showing for, um, for their, that same inventory. Is that, you know, underlying the, this whole concept here is that the seller still holds title to the inventory, even though it's physically out of their control. So they need to make sure that they have SKU level inventory, um, record keeping that tracks to, uh, to Amazon's. Uh, in addition, they really, you know, one of the things that we would do on the field exam side is, is analyze not just inventory, but also receivables. Um, Amazon would pay, um, its sellers every two weeks based on, uh, their, their recorded sell through. They remit on a net basis, uh, taking all fees associated with, uh, their arrangement out of the top and, uh, and also returns. And that's a key, a key metric also to, to, to analyze historically to see out of the uh, gross uh, receivables owed to the um, seller, how much do they actually net uh, historically? And that's obviously the, you know, at, at the end of the day, that's, you know, that's how the inventory gets converted to cash through, through that, you know, Amazon submission. So we would analyze that as in, as well as the inventory uh, record keeping and build that into the, um, into the borrowing base accordingly. Dovetailing off what Doug said around returns, and I think there's two critical points that I think are worth making here. First is you have a very different level of detail on returns with Amazon. So you can, again, track down to the product or SKU level. So you, it's very easy, or I shouldn't say it's very easy. It's easier and you have much richer data than you may historically have with a traditional retailer to be able to dig deep into which SKUs drive most of the returns, whether there's seasonality associated with returns, whether it's pretty steady over a 12-month period or it fluctuates. You know, return building a return reserve is something that lenders should really consider. And I know that anytime anybody hears reserves, it's all oh, it's less, you know, that we can loan. And it's, you know, means the borrower has less liquidity. One of the good things about Amazon, though, is you don't need a gift card reserve. So unlike a return reserve, unlike regular retail, where you're going to have outstanding gift card liabilities, for a retailer that sells on, on the Amazon marketplace, a gift card is as good as cash uh, because they're Amazon gift cards. That's what's accepted. And so when it's tendered by the consumer to Amazon for the retailer that's selling the actual good on the marketplace, it's just as good as cash. Uh, so you don't have, need to have a gift card reserve in the context of your Amazon selling space. The other point that I wanted to make off of returns are in a liquidation context, you can't return goods. Uh, it's fairly standard that returns aren't accepted, all sales are final. 
In the context of Amazon, you have to return goods. The good news is that you shouldn't have an increase in your overall returns because, again, as Dominic talked about early on, to the consumer, they don't know that the retailer that's selling that particular good is going out of business. They just see that the price is better than anybody else's price. And so they're able to then, uh, you know, they're not buying in that same sense of urgency that goes along with a liquidation sale. So they're they're not any more likely to return the good than they otherwise would be. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Great. Great. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. You know, I was just going to say, yes, there's a, there's, you know, roughly a 30 day tail on returns that you need to need to can think think about in the borrowing based context. And do you need uh like in the event of less than 100% sell through do you need is there something specific about disposition strategy that goes into an overall plan that's you know focused on Amazon liquidation or is that uh, a consideration? Yeah, there are a couple different options for you here. Amazon as I think Dominic mentioned earlier on, they they have some tools for you to be able to dispose of inventory that's remaining at the end. You know, those can be where you can donate it. Uh, you can sell it to third parties in bulk for, you know, fixed values, or you can have it returned. It, you know, interestingly, before COVID, it used to take Amazon about two weeks on average to um, return goods out of their fulfillment centers. Now it's, they're saying it's about 90 days. So, you know, and that, and those goods come back in from several different fulfillment centers because Amazon's going to optimize where they place the inventory to meet demand uh, and get it there as quickly as possible. As we all know, uh, we like Amazon Prime. Not, they're even doing same days. You know, one day, second day now is almost too long, uh, which was the original Prime designation. So, you know, there's there are ways to do it. Amazon has some built-in ones. And then if you really want your inventory back, uh, then you can ask for it to come back. You know, the the nice thing is that, uh, you know, save long, long-term long storage fees. Uh, there's a minimal cost to having your inventory continue to sit there. So as you're selling down, you should be able to optimize price to really optimize uh, your sell-through and shouldn't have much left at the end. You know, that's one of the areas where we really, you know, have focused our attention and, uh, you know, and then using some of Amazon's additional tools, like Dominic mentioned, you know, whether it's a coupon or bundling more of the goods, you know, there are a lot of different options to try to increase your sell through so that you have very little, if anything, left at the end uh, to be able to that you have to dispose of. Perfect. Perfect. Great. Uh, great additional information there. And what about, uh, you know, kind of running a little short on time here, but in terms of um, lenders, uh, any thoughts, uh, and anybody can take this question, specific to how lenders should be approaching uh, this market when making an asset-based asset loan to an Amazon seller? So I know this is going to sound a little bit like a plug, and I'll go first. You need <laughs> to pick the right appraisal and field exam partner, and there's nobody out there that has more experience or a more fine-tuned model, you know, than Hilco. And, you know, that's because we spent a couple of years becoming experts on it. And then we've run the largest liquidation, you know, in the context of an Amazon third-party marketplace seller. That's given us just a tremendous amount of knowledge. 
that nobody else has or can even come close to. And so picking the right partner is the most critical. And I'll let Doug go next on uh, anything you'd like to add. Yeah, I I would agree 100%. It's picking the right partner. It's an, an analogy I'll draw is asset-based lenders who seek to make loans to operating companies in other in foreign jurisdictions, foreign to the United States. Um, in those cases, um, asset-based lenders rely on on local counsel in the UK, in Germany, um, in uh, in the Netherlands, et cetera, to help them structure their deals in accordance with local securities laws. And similarly, in the in the Amazon space, you need experts who are familiar with Amazon and um, partnering with them in performing diligence and uh, appraisals is a really important part of the part of the equation in, when they are dipping their toes into this into these waters. All right, Dominic. Anything else you want to add there? Yeah, no. I, I would just say, you know, the, the reality is, like, st- selling on Amazon is is not easy. There are a lot of Amazon sellers. It's a massive platform, but it's difficult. And with that, there comes certain risks. And so, you know, some sellers have managed to be incredibly successful leveraging the platform, and others less so. And so, you know, we, we've become intimately familiar with what some of the the good habits, the bad habits are. And from the perspective of both looking at it from an appraisal and field exam, and then on the other side to a liquidation, there, there are a lot of complexities to it and it's ever changing. You know, un, unlike stores where you can sort of you know what your lease is, you know where your store is located, you know what you, you decide what your marketing and branding is and, and how you promote the store. All of that stuff is sort of fixed, or at least you're part of that decision-making process. Whereas Amazon, a lot of those decisions are made for you without your input. And so it's fluid and ever-changing. And so, you know, it, it does take a, a, a great understanding and a current understanding of what's going on and what the environment and marketplace looks like. And I think that's one of the things uh, that we've gotten really good at here. And so, you know, because of that, it's, it, it, you know, all of this can be done. It just can't be done with a, with a sort of flick of the wand. It, it takes expertise. And, and that's something that we've really come to know both through a, a ton of time spent on the front end, but then also uh, with a lot of real world, real world experience to see, you know, what, which decisions are the right ones and, and how do you actually maximize value in the world of Amazon? And so, you know, I would just add that in, in addition to everything that, you know, we've said here, the, the one thing that you, you sort of can't uh, replace or, or, or can't learn on the fly is the experience that comes with everything that we've done over the last couple of years, getting intimate, familiar, intimately familiar with this platform. Yeah, I could not agree more. Uh, listen, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Amazon's definitely a very different environment in many ways, and particularly, obviously, as we discuss here, when it comes to liquidations. And obviously, you guys have developed a tremendous expertise in this space. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions from listeners uh, who've tuned in that just want to really dig into their specific situations with you. Who wants to be the point person here for some follow-up from listeners and how should they get a hold of you? Yeah, I would say all, all you know, for the, uh, across the the three of us here, our emails are, you know, first initial last name at hilcoglobal.com. Uh, so I'm, I'm D Keefe 
Uh, Ian is e- I Fredericks, and then uh, Doug is 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 D Jung. And so, uh, you know, across the board, we're all happy to answer any questions and, and discuss and continue the conversation as as much as as possible. You know, we're we're happy to help, and we're always available. Super. All right. Thanks, uh, Dominic, Doug, Ian. Really appreciate it. Great information. Hopefully, we'll get you back on again soon. Great. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, yeah, Doug, thanks Dominic. Steve. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Absolutely, guys. And listeners, as always, we hope that this Smarter Perspective podcast provided you with at least one key takeaway that you can put to good use in your business or share with a colleague or client to help make them that much more successful moving forward. And if you found today's discussion insightful, please be sure to check out our library of other podcasts. And you can find those at hillcoglobal.com forward slash smarter dash perspectives or on your favorite podcast platform. Till next time for Hillco Global, I'm Steve Katz.